0: This week two of our four-week series, Christianity and World Religions, Understanding and Loving Our Neighbors. We are studying four major religions in order to um, learn and grow in our understanding and appreciation not only for these other faith traditions, but more importantly, to grow in our appreciation and love for the people who practice these religions. We're learning to grow in our ability to love our neighbors. In a world where division only seems to grow, we want to learn to build bridges and to find ways to connect better and to love all our neighbors. And as I said last week, my little caveat here, we will only scratch the surface of any of these religions. What I will share with you is in no way exhaustive or fully representative of any of these faiths. First of all, I am not an expert in any of these religions. And second of all, just like in Christianity, there are numerous expressions of each of these faith traditions. So my hope is that this desire will spark in us a desire or a thirst to learn more on our own about all of these religions and the people who practice them. And as a reminder, I just want to um, remember, I want us to remember that in our study we are adopting Swedish theologian Christer Stendhal's rules of religious, of interreligious understanding. And they are number one, when trying to understand another religion, we're going to ask the adherents of that religion and not its enemies. Second, we're not going to compare our best with their worst. And we're going to make sure that we leave room for holy envy. And what is meant by that is that we're going to allow space. And the possibility that as we study these other faith traditions, we may find things in the beliefs and practices of others that we kind of envy, that we wish were more a part of our own faith tradition or that somehow may enhance or inform or deepen our understanding of our own faith tradition. So this week, we get to learn about Buddhism Buddhists, according to a Pew Research Center study conducted in 2015, represents the fourth largest religion in the world. They represent about 7% of the world's population. In the United States, they make up only about 1% of our population, and they are the majority religion in Southeast Asia and Japan. Buddhism was founded in the late 6th century, which... BC, which as a point of reference for us would have been about the time that the Israelites were in exile in Babylon or shortly after they returned. Buddhism was founded by a man named Siddhartha Gautama, who um, would have actually been raised in the Hindu faith. So he was a reformer of sorts of the Hindu faith. Um, There's several versions of the story of Siddhartha. You heard one um, from Misty. Uh, One of the ones that I heard was that Siddhartha's mother died giving birth to him. And so his father, because he was being raised without a mother, did not want him to suffer any more than he already would be. And so he was very protective of him. Um, Siddhartha was born into privilege. He grew up in a palace wanting for nothing. Um, He married and had a child, but at the age of 29, he decided that he wanted to see what was outside the walls of the palace, and so he decided to go on a series of chariot rides outside the palace gates. On his first trip outside the gates, he encountered, as Misty pointed out, someone who uh, was aging. They were growing very old, and as a result, um, they were becoming more feeble. It's the first time he'd ever encountered this, and he asked the person driving his chariot, what, what is going on here? Is this normal? Is this something that happens to everyone? And the chariot driver, of course, assured him, yes, this happens to everyone. It's a normal part of life. The second time that he ventured outside of the palace gates, he encountered someone who was very sick, and again was a little startled by this, wondered if this was a normal experience, and again was reassured that yes, in fact it was. On his third trip outside the palace gates, he encountered a funeral procession, and he saw for the very first time a corpse that was being processed to, um, to where it would be uh, burned. And again, kind of startled by this, um, asks about um, the nature of death and is this a normal experience? And and the chariot driver says, yes, it is. Everyone experiences death at some point in their lives. Well, he was deeply troubled by this and was not able to find any answers within his own faith tradition, any solution to, to this suffering that he was seeing and was learning was a common experience in life. The fourth time he went outside the city gates he ran across um, a man who was an ascetic who had renounced life's comforts and he was actually inspired by this man to go and do the same. So he left the palace gates, he went out into, um, into the world to live an ascetic life um, and to, to search for the solution to the problem of suffering. Well, he wandered around for six years Um, Without any success, he wasn't able to discover um, how to handle or deal with suffering until finally he sat down under a Bodhi tree. And depending on which version of the story you read, I read that he sat there all night long. I read that he'd been there for 49 days. One story said he sat under the Bodhi tree for six months. Either way... He eventually came to the point of enlightenment sitting under this Bodhi tree, which means that he had a spiritual awakening. And it was at that point that he began to be known as the Buddha, which means awakened one. Um, and he had discovered how to deal with suffering. A few weeks ago, I had the honor and privilege of meeting the Venerable J.G., who is a Buddhist nun that uh, leads the Buddhist temple that is out on Highway 360. I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of the name, but I think it's Zhang Yun Temple. Um, She was such a delight. When Jonathan and I went to meet her, I went to knock on her door to introduce myself. She walked out of the door, and the very first thing she did was open her arms. She looked up at me because she's about this tall, and said, give me a hug. And I mean, I just was welcomed, I couldn't have been welcomed more warmly. So she helped me over the course of this brief um, interview, she helped me to understand just enough about Buddhism to be truly dangerous, um, but certainly enough to make me want to learn a whole lot more. I want you to watch, just this is just four minutes of what is a much longer video, but I want you to get to meet her and hear a little bit from her.
1: My name is JG, and they call me venerable JG, and that is my dhamma name given by my master when I was tonsured under him in year 1990 what we call dukkha okay this is in uh, in the sanskrit term and in english we translate that as suffering But if I tell you suffering, then you think, ah, I have toothache and that's suffering, okay? And my girlfriend uh, say goodbye to me and then I suffer. We just think about this kind of suffering. But actually uh, Prince Siddhartha, the Buddha's name, okay? he What he describes suffering is the changing of life. that you cannot stay young forever, that you cannot be happy forever. In this moment, you are very healthy, very happy. But next moment, it can be something um, uh, happened and that is out of your expectation and then you cannot take it. And so people suffer from this kind of impermanence in life and so he wanted to uh, find a solution to that and so when he got enlightened uh, what did he see i mean see not naked eyes to see but the mind's eyes to see what he uh, really uh, saw in um, in the world is that is the Dependent origination of all beings the interrelatedness of all life and then he also see the impermanence in life so when he showed all this to us everything is changing and then we just say yeah everything is changed but we are not seeing that impermanence in depth and he is showing us that if you lengthen your life your timeline then you will be seeing that um, even this lifespan is not uh, permanent it, life goes on and on and that I would say is very fascinating to me that life is not only this life okay you have ongoing life and that means everything is possible the change is possible okay and so. I would say that uh, his enlightenment, his solution to what is called suffering is that if you are able to see everything is changing, okay, then you can uh, conquer the fear of suffering, the pains of suffering. In Christian uh, belief that they you have the idea of uh, do not worship idols and so one thing I would like to uh, make use of this opportunity to clarify is that uh, when we Buddhists uh, worshiping the Buddha it's not worshiping an idol Uh, I would rather say that uh, we are respecting uh, paying respect uh, to our role models and so Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, all these statues, uh, they are like our role models. And then so when we join our palms and then bow, half bow to the statues, we vow to ourselves that we will be like them, that one day if I follow their path, then I will become an enlightened person. And so the statue out there actually is the Buddha inside ourselves.
0: So the venerable JG, as you could tell, I'm sure even from that short clip, was an utter joy to spend time with and to learn from. The full-length video, which is about 30 or 40 minutes long, will be posted on our website. I would encourage you at some point to go out and watch it. Um, She's fascinating. So Dukkha, as she says in her video, is this principle of suffering. But in Buddhism, suffering is understood a little bit differently than how we might often think of it. Um, According to Buddhism, our suffering is the result of hanging on to or holding too tightly to our ideals or our desires. Barbara Brown Taylor, in her book, Holy Envy, she helped me out with this by saying it this way. She said, suffering is so often a measure of how much we want things to be different from the way that they are. Suffering so often is the result of us desiring that things were different than what they are. So what the Buddha saw, J.G. says, is that nothing in life is permanent. Nothing is permanent. And that all beings are Are interrelated. Um, Being aware of the impermanence in life is meant to help us to grow in our comfort with the nature of things always changing and not remaining overly attached to the way we want things to be. And this notion of interrelatedness is helpful and leads to, in the Buddhist expression, compassion because if we are all part of one another, if we are all interrelated, then I am gonna want to treat you the way I'd like for you to treat me, right? We are essentially family, we are all a part of one another, we belong to each other, and so that's going to direct how we, teach, how we treat one another, and it's also going to inspire us to do what we can to alleviate the suffering that others experience. So, um, J.G. goes on to say that the Buddha's solution to suffering is that if you're able to see or accept that everything is always changing, then you can conquer the fear and the pain of suffering, the fear and the pain that we experience when we are desperately trying to hang on to maybe a pleasurable experience or an optimal experience. What Buddha discovers under the Bodhi tree is a path to do just that. He discovers what are called the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment. And he begins to teach these to others around him. So the Four Noble Truths are this. Number one is the truth of suffering. Life inherently includes suffering. That's something that we as Christians would agree with. Number two is the truth of the cause of suffering. Dukkha is caused, as I said a moment ago, by clinging clinging to or being overly attached to a reality that is impermanent, that is definitely going to change. And then number three, the truth of the cessation of suffering, or nirvana. And that is the truth that it is possible to relieve suffering. And number four, the truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering. And this is actually points to the Noble Eightfold Path which leads to detachment. The Eightfold Path or what they also call the Middle Path, this is the path that leads to enlightenment, includes number one, having the right view or perspective on things. Remember when J.G. talked about lengthening your timeline and keeping in mind that that nothing is just about right now. It goes on and on. Number two, it's about having the right intentions. Three, having the right speech. I've heard it say I've heard it said that Buddhists believe that when you say something, you should be thinking about, is it true, Is it necessary and is it kind when you're um, trying to cultivate right speech? And then right action. Which should always be, which should be born out of compassion. Right livelihood, right effort, the way you go about things matters. Right concentration, what is it that you're thinking about? We talk about that in the Christian faith, you know, keep your mind on things above, right? And then right mindfulness, being aware, being awake to what is right now, and growing in your acceptance of what is. So Buddha's path path to peace teaches, in Barbara Brown Taylor's words, that the sooner we learn to accept the human condition with equanimity, the sooner our suffering will end. And she's careful to point out it's not our pain that will end, but our suffering. She makes a distinction between the two. Because our suffering is a result of our desire to be free of pain, which... Is inherent to life. So, what do we have in common? Both Buddhism and Christianity recognize the centrality of suffering in human life. Remember, we just talked a lot about suffering in our last sermon series, Where Were You God, right? We know that suffering is an inherent part of life. Both Christianity and Buddhism stress compassion as a response to suffering, as the means by which we can help alleviate suffering in the lives of those around us. And both Buddhism and Christianity seek a lasting peace. We may go about it a little bit differently, but that is um, an end desire of both faiths. So Christianity would agree with Buddhism that suffering is caused, at least in part, by our attachment to things. Just look at the seven deadly sins, right? The seven deadly sins are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath and sloth, all are expressions of clinging to or excessively desiring the things of this world, right? And Christians, as I said a moment ago, we are encouraged to set our minds on things above, which is a releasing or letting go of sorts, a sort of detachment. But in Christianity, there is a distinct role for God in the alleviating of suffering. I mean, Christianity is centered around a man who not only embraced his own suffering, but took on the suffering of the world for the purposes of redeeming us, right? This is not the same in Buddhism. Barbara Brown Taylor, again, I lean on her heavily. She says things so well. Contrary to popular opinion, the Buddha never claimed to be God. He never denied the existence of God, though, either though there's really nothing for a capital G God to do in his teachings. No one's watching over us to punish us or reward us. Enlightenment is its own reward, she says, the peace that passes all understanding. If we want to do something while we're learning to let go of our demands about the way we think life ought to be, we can devote ourselves to relieving the suffering of others, she says. These are where that interconnectedness and compassion come into play. Buddhism is not a faith about God, really. It's about the teachings of a man named Buddha. Um, In the Buddhist faith, it's not necessary that you believe in God, but it also does not necessarily deny the existence of God. Barbara Brown Taylor's when she looks at the Buddhist faith, she says the thing that she envies most is Buddhist meditation. She says, while it's not the same as Christian-centering prayer, um, her envy of the discipline required by those who practice meditation increases her desire to want to put a little more effort into centering prayer personally really envy this notion of impermanence and the idea that our happiness is not dependent upon our circumstances. I love that concept. To me, that allows so much freedom. The degree to which we are able to detach from our ideals and rather be at peace with what is real seems to be the degree to which we can experience the deep peace. Understanding that nothing is permanent Even our pain, this too shall pass, right? And most certainly, death is not permanent, which is something that we share in the Christian faith, of course, although what happens after death looks a little different from what the Buddhists believe. And I particularly love when the venerable J.G. speaks to the implications of impermanence, and she says, since nothing is permanent, when you extend your timeline, you realize that you have ongoing life, that even death is not permanent. She goes on to say that you have ongoing life and that means everything is possible. I like that a lot. I'm not even sure I fully understand it, but it somehow (laughs) speaks to me. There's something about that that struck me. And though I'm absolutely positive that I lack the deep understanding of the principle of mindfulness that those who are lifelong practitioners of Buddhism have, I have experienced significant grace through some of the practices of paying attention to what is right now. The meditation that Misty led us through, along with the, uh, and I don't know what you call that, that you were doing over there, um, singing bells, um, when that was going, and you heard the little drum beat in the background, and Misty leading us through that meditation, that mindfulness of intentionally um, sharing and expressing love and good wishes for yourself and your neighbor and the world, um, there is something about that that resonates deep in my gut. I'm noticing my own breath and noticing my own heartbeat being hyper aware of what's going on around me. All of these things help me to practice my own faith on a deeper level. I mean, first of all, that opens me up to becoming more aware of the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life, the presence of the Spirit, and even to respond to God's promptings, those times when you just know that God is, is nudging you in a certain direction or to respond in a certain way in a particular moment the more I can be mindful about what is actually going on around me and less attached to what I wish was going on around me, frees me and allows me to be responsive and to be grace in the lives of those around me. Philippians says, in a nutshell, turn your worries into prayers. Offer everything to God in thanksgiving, and you will experience God's peace. Release your worries entrust them to God. Be at peace. That's really not so different from Buddhism. And many of the Buddhist practices help me do exactly that. I'm so grateful for our Buddhist neighbors. Thanks be to God. Amen.